I woke up this morning with um, Psalm 23 on my heart, and I know we know it, but just what jumped out of my heart, it was maybe also because of what's been on my heart the whole week, but um, it starts off with Psalm 23, the Lord is our shepherd, right? And we shall not want. He's our shepherd, we shall not want. And it ends with, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I'm captivated by that the Lord is our shepherd and we shall not want because goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. He's that good and his goodness is following me all the time. When I enter a room, when I enter a transaction, when I go to the office, when I'm in my family, whether I'm in my house, whether I'm in my neighbor's house, goodness is following me all my days. And I just, I feel like God just wanting to remind us again and just establish again just his goodness, that he's really good. Of the people that I have been ministering to over the last little while, I just, and, and um, I felt like um, that the enemy has tried to attack our identity again. And uh, identity, if we understand and we get a revelation of that God is good and his goodness, and then it's insulates us from the attack of our identity. So I don't know how it will unfold this morning, but I, I just um, I want to encourage us with our identity this morning in God. And I'll unpack that a little bit so we understand that a little bit better. But let me just maybe say it like this, um, that your identity produces well-being. If you've got a healthy and a a good identity, it produces well-being. And well-being is very much needed in the body of Christ right now. We need to have our well, uh, our inside just healthy and well. Amen? So, but identity produces well-being. And, uh, and so we, we, need to, we need to have a look at that. Because well-being produces confidence. See, identity produces well-being and well-being produces confidence. And confidence is vital in this day because the Bible says in um, Hebrews 10, I think it's 37, Gavin will check, um, uh, <laughs> it says, don't throw away your confidence, which has great reward. And then it goes on to say, because you have need of Endurance. You and I have need of endurance. Do you know that you need endurance? But it comes from a confidence because that confidence has great reward. And we have need of endurance, but if we let endurance have its perfect results, then we will fulfill and do, the Bible says, the will of God. You can read it. Uh, in 37, 38, 39, I think, around about there. 
Um, and so my heart is that all of this comes back to identity. What I want to just encourage us is, in, is strengthen identity because identity will lead to well-being. Well-being will lead to a confidence. And if we have a confidence in God, then we can endure whatever is put in front of us. Amen? I think it's Romans chapter 5, verse 3 to 5. It talks about um, that, you know, rejoice in our sufferings because our sufferings produce endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope, the Bible says, does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. That's Romans 5, I think, 3 to 5. There's a hope that is so vital for the Christian today. Because faith is based on it. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. If you don't have hope, you can't have faith. Amen? And faith... Belief is critical in order for you and I to have character, in order for you and I to have well-being, in order for you and I to have our identity secure. It's all linked. So let's try and unpack that a little bit and encourage us this morning, um, because I do believe that there's so, there's so much that God is wanting to do at this time, but I believe the huge attack that's been on the body of Christ for a long while has been to try and steal and to rob us of his goodness and who he is. And, uh, and so, yeah, let me, let, me, let me attempt my very best to um, help you there. So, uh, where to start? Let's go to the garden. Mm. Yeah. I'll come to the garden. Let me just say, let me say it like this. Um, there were, there's, there's, depending on how you look at things, depending on how you interpret the Bible, depending on how you want to swing, um, there are roughly seven covenants in the Bible, okay? Um, and you can look at them from Adam to Noah to David to Moses to Jesus. There's a, there's a whole bunch of covenants, right? But they are basically... Or mainly just two covenants. There's Moses and there's Jesus, which is the new covenant, right? Um, and I want to just kind of get get an understanding of those two, so we can understand where, why, and how our identity is meant to be secured in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Um, so not to complicate matters, let me just say this, and this is not to offend anybody or to make anyone wobble. This if it chases you back into the Word and to study it, then, then that, I've done my job. But let me say this. It's, when you look at the, in the beginning and um, God giving the, the um, people of Israel the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments are, were, were, were looked at for years and years from the church perspective as absolutely a focal point, very key. And that's when God... Uh, brought and established his rules and brought and established his law. That's when he came in and he made a benchmark for morality and for guidelines of this is how he wants to operate and this is who he is. And, and so the Ten Commandments were looked at like as, as important and very uh, key 
for us as the church um, and as our focal point. Can I throw something out this morning and say God's desire was never, ever, ever to give you the Ten Commandments. That's not to offend anyone. That's just to give you a revelation, understanding of the journey of God. Because if you had to go study it, and I don't have time this morning, and you go and study Exodus, particularly chapters 19 and 20, you will see there that God was wanting to have a people that He could speak to and that He could minister to. There is always a leader. There is always somebody who needs to uh, um, uh, uh, help govern when there's a whole bunch of people. So there is always a leader. Jesus is the head, right, of His church. So Moses was the leader, and, and He spoke to Moses, and He told Moses, listen, I want to come down, I want to speak now to the people, and, but you have to put some things in place. It was never about a, a, a heart that was, uh, that was judging or, or wanting to nail the people. He just said, you need to just put a barriers around this mountain. I'm coming down onto this mountain. I'm perfect. I'm holy. Um, and when I come down, there's a whole lot of stuff that happens. Nature reacts. There's rumblings. There's peals of thunder. There's smoke. There's fire. There's a lot of stuff that's going to happen. And if you, have any, you or anybody, including your donkey, has to come and you have to touch this, you will surely die. That's not some aggressive God. That's a God who's trying to protect and be kind and say, hey, don't go there. And, uh, and, he, and he sets it all up, and then he comes down, and there's just, this is a shortened version, um, and, um, and then uh, the people of God, they see all of this happening, and they react. They're a bit scared. So they back off a little bit like, whoa, whoa, hold on a minute. And, uh, and Moses says, no, this is a test. Don't, don't, don't back off. But they back off, and they say, whoa, no. You go and hear from God, and, uh, and then you tell us, and we will do it. You see, when God says, listen, well, you need to obey me to do this, and they said, yes, we can surely do it. They should never have said we can surely do it. And the only way that God can, 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 can break into to a, to a heart that thinks they can do it is to show them that they can't do it. Right? Let me, I'll help you with a scripture. If you go uh, to Corinthians chapter 3, it's verse 7. Paul says that the Ten Commandments were a ministry of death. He wasn't too excited about the Ten Commandments, which ultimately became uh, 613 laws and, be and became the law. Now, when you, when you fast forward a little bit and you come into the time of Jesus, well, let's not fast forward. Let's, let's, just, let's, let's go slow forward. Before we get back to the garden, let's go slow forward a little bit and let's encounter Abraham, right? So we look at Abraham. He has this guy. He's an Iraqi pagan worshiper. We know we've shared all this. Uh, the guy was not looking for God. He wasn't even understanding God, thinking of God, didn't know there was a God. Um, God comes and breaks in and uh, in, into his life and promises him a whole bunch of stuff. He says, I'm going to bless you. And, and, and he promises Abraham and Abraham responds to him was, I believe you, Right? Somebody that he didn't really know, but he was God. And I know when God shows up, you generally can understand that he is God. Um, so not just some casual oak that just strolled up to Abraham. But, but the response was simply, I'm just, ah, yes, I believe you. I put my faith. And by his response and his belief, so it was accounted to him as righteousness. And then the Bible says, and then there's a covenant with, with Abraham, which is actually not with Abraham because he puts Abraham to sleep. That's a whole other story. Um, he actually cuts covenant with himself. Um, 
there's a fire in a smoking pot and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the, the reality is, um, is that now he's cut covenant with himself and it's based um, so that Abraham just has to dare to believe him. So it's, an, it's, a, it's a covenant of faith. It's a covenant of belief. You just got to believe and you can walk in it, right? Everyone with me? Um, so I'll, I'll move slower. So, <laughs> no, no. So then we, we, we fast forward uh, to, to um, um, Moses and to the covenant uh, with Moses and to the law. And um, uh, to give you an understanding that the Abrahamic covenant, the Bible says, was 430 years before the law. Right? Um, so if it had been God's design, His will, He would have, I think He would have just kept that all the way through to when Jesus came. But they kept wanting to go their own route and do their own thing, and so he establishes the law. Then Jesus comes along, and God has been silent for 400 years. And when Jesus breaks in, and he comes on to, into this earth, and he comes into this world, what actually has happened is that the Abrahamic covenant has just about been lost. And, and there's so much in this that I would love to share this morning, but, but Jesus comes on the scene and uh, he realizes that these guys, the only really reference point is Moses. Um, and so there's just this weightiness that's been put on the people, um, just this heaviness that's, that's, uh, that's been um, placed on them by the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees. By, uh, the Bible can, uh, often says lawyers. Lawyers it interspersed with the word scribe. Um, they, just, they, they studied the law. They were, they, they were like the legal guys. And they had put this weightiness on, and Jesus comes into that scenario and that situation. And if you have a look, you will see there that Jesus is so attractive, even when he, when he, um, when he uh, gets uh, Matthew, the tax collector, and he, he, I think it's in Matthew 12, and he uh, calls Matthew to come. You know, come and follow me. And, and Matthew, you know Matthew, if you've watched The Chosen. <laughs> Off he comes, he's very excited. Um, and then he invites him and he comes to his house and then Jesus is sitting there and there are sinners and there are Pharisees. There are all the good, the bad and the ugly that have just come because, wow. Um, and Jesus is embracing them and the Pharisees are the first ones to look and say, who, look at him, he, look what he associates with. And Jesus' words out of his mouth is very simple. He says, you guys need to learn something. You need to learn that I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And, uh, and you, see this, you see Jesus, Jesus' nature and character is one of uh, children love to be around him. He loved kids. He loved to, to bless, and, and they were just so joyful around him. Women were secure around Jesus, and men were scared. <laughs> no. he, was, he, was, he was epitomized what a man should be. Yet he had zero tolerance in one area. And that was the Pharisees and the legal people of the age. We've got to catch this. Jesus was, this, if you think sometimes I'm straight, you've got to just read your Bible when Jesus is around Pharisees. They would say to him, hey, no, we are sons of Abraham. You know, you're not sons of Abraham. You are of your father, the devil. I don't know if I've ever said that to anybody in church. Right? And he's a liar. He was a liar from the beginning. 
He was a murderer from the beginning. Ooh, that's a nice father. He would say to them, whoa, you hypocrites. You whitewashed sepulchres. You stink inside, basically. All nice and fancy outside. He said, you brood of vipers. You snakes. Ooh. That's pretty aggressive, right? That's pretty serious. It's obviously not happy with something. And take Jesus and ask, do you need any healing? <laughs> no, he just had a revelation, understanding of something which the church needs to grab hold of and be that aggressive in this area in relation to the law. So Jesus is like, you know, zero tolerance here. In fact, he actually goes and he makes a whip. Now, I don't know if you know in those days, but it takes a while to make a whip. That's somebody who's quite serious. He didn't just, didn't just go and buy one. He made a whip, the Bible says. He made a whip. And he went into the temple, and he didn't whip people because he loves people. But he kicked over tables, and he wielded a whip, which is quite scary when a guy comes in there. He looks quite shh. Because he had such a zeal for his house, and he had such a zeal for the nature and the character of God. Now you might say, oh, no, okay, but um, where does this, how does this all fit? Well, if you read in, in, in Luke 11, so if you read in Luke 11, Luke 11 um, verse 52, let me, let me just give you this. Luke 11 verse 52. You know, Jesus didn't mind questions, but when the Pharisees came, there was always questions within questions. They were always trying to trap him. Um, and I want to encourage you, God loves questions, but have an open mind and, and, be, and embrace truth and ask the Lord to speak and that there isn't questions within questions or actually I've got an answer, but I'm really just trying to trick you and, and ask you this question, but I don't really want what you're about to say, right? Um, and you can see that if you read in the, in the end of that chapter, you'll see as he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. But listen to verse 52. Woe to you, lawyers or scribes, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. In, um, if you, read, you go in the reciprocal place in Matthew 23, it's verse 13. He says to you, woe to you, scribes, for you have shut the kingdom of heaven from those who want to enter, and you do not enter even yourself. But it says here, I love this wording, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourself, and you hindered those who were entering. What's the key of knowledge? The key of knowledge is a revelation of the nature of God. The key of knowledge is a revelation of His goodness. See, they had taken away a revelation of the nature of God. They would taken away a revelation of the goodness of God. Now they were just putting, and you can go study it there, they have just been putting laws and they were putting a heaviness on them. In fact, he goes, you hypocrites, you, you, you put a whole lot of burden of things that they've got to do, but you don't even lift a hand to help them. See, and that's the law. The law was given. Jesus came. If you can catch the difference. See, the law was given. It's here. This is, what you, this, is, this is what you've got to do. Here's the jump over this, but I'm not going to help you one little bit, right? But Jesus said, I'll come. 
and I'm going to help you. If you can catch the difference there. Even in John chapter 5, verse 45, um, when, the fa- when they're having this big debate and, and, and discussing uh, a whole bunch of stuff, Jesus says to the Pharisees, I don't accuse you. I don't accuse you before my Father. Moses accuses you. The law accuses you. They had lost the key of knowledge. They had lost an understanding of the goodness of God. And Jesus had come back so aggressively wanting to make a shift happen from this understand, because shift happens. Um, But can I also just say this uh, now, just very importantly, um, is that the Bible says that Christ was um, slain before the foundations of the world. Can I, can I say this categorically this morning? The redemptiveness of Christ did not happen on the plan or the purpose of the cross or when Jesus died on the cross. God was always redemptive. It's His nature. He is a redemptive God. That's why Christ was slain before the foundations of the world. This was who he was. He didn't just suddenly decide, oh, shame, I need to be redemptive with these guys. He was always redemptive. The nature of God was always redemptive. The plan of God was always redemptive. He's always redemptive from the beginning. He didn't change his mind. He stuck the law, and then he said, no, I'm going to now get, I'm gonna be redemptive. He's always redemptive, right? Maybe just go with me to Hebrews I'll just read a couple of scriptures that will just help all of this a little bit. Hopefully, let me not get stuck too much here. Cause but if you go to Hebrews chapter 10, if you go to Hebrews chapter 10, I'll just read a couple of verses from here and then maybe just jump to one or two others. Um, from verse 5, Hebrews 10 verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings... You have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. That is now a quote from Psalm 40. But it's clearly telling us that sacrifices and offerings God did not desire. This was not God's plan or His desire was sacrifices and offerings. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. There was zero pleasure in God's heart for all these offerings and these sacrifices. This was not God's plan or God's desire for the people of God. He wanted to live in that place where they just believed Him and walked in the reality of who He actually was, His nature and His character. And now, all these years later, when Jesus breaks on the scene, the the Pharisees has all but taken away the key, which was the goodness of God. And the enemy does exactly the same thing today. He tries to rob the key of understanding and the key of knowledge, which is the goodness of God. He's that good and he put this plan in place because his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But the Holy Spirit, who searches all things, finds out these plans and these ways that God has, which are miraculous and beautiful and wonderful. And he knows us so perfectly that he has to take care of every single thing. He's not going to take care of something up to a point and then say, okay, now you're on your own. You're going to have to do this yourself. Oh, you failed. You're Wally. 
He knows because right from the plan, from the word go, when he put Adam and Eve in the garden, he knew they were going to fall. That's why Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. The plan was always in place that I'm going to have to take care of these guys uh, in every single area so that they never, ever again will put their faith and their confidence in themselves. So he puts a plan in place. If you just go to Psalm 40, let me just read it. Psalm 40, it's always good to... When something is quoted like that, you just go to the place where it's quoting from. Psalm 40, verse 6 to 8. Uh, in sacrifices and offerings you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. <laughs> Burnt, I haven't got time. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Maybe turn with me to, if you can find it, Hosea. Hosea and Joel, if you go to Daniel, Daniel's brother is Hosea, and uh, he's with Pedro, and no, don't get sidetracked, <laughs> the Mexican family, no, no, it's not there, it's, uh, um, Joel, that's his, that's his mate, okay, so you can find it, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, um, uh, verse 6. Chapter 6, verse 6. I need you guys to just like revelation prophetically. No, no. Okay. <laughs> 6, verse 6. Okay. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Man, I, and there's, there's, I haven't got time to... There's many times in Matthew... Uh, chapter 9, I think verse 13 as well, where, where Jesus talking to the Pharisees again, he says, you guys, you need to understand and learn that I desire mercy, not sacrifice. There's a God, God does. So when we come to um, identity, um, let me say this. Ide uh, you, every single person here today has been created uh, with, a, for the want of a better word, a, a, a personhood, which is your identity. It's, it's the makeup and who you are. And that is made up of three things. That's made up of identity, acceptance, and approval. Those three things. They make up the personhood. They make up who you are. They make up the, 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 your being, right? They make up your well-being, right? Um, so when we look at the Bible and we see, right, Jesus now is going to come into uh, this world, into the scenario, into all the stuff that I've been talking about, where there's going to be such venomous attacks on him, where he's going to, one moment he's going to be praised, ooh, you're great, the next moment he's going to be lambasted, right? Remember there he was, he was like, you're so good, you're so great, because he was multiplying food and they were getting fed and he said, this is great, the next minute they're shouting, crucify him. One minute he's like, whoa, we're following you. Crowds are flocking after him. Then he says, you need to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, and thousands leave him. Yeah. See, he's not interested in the crowds. He was interested in just pleasing his father. But before he's going to go into that kind of environment, before he does anything, Zippo, Nada, Zero, Gien, Nix, Hey, had Gelever and gestaan daar voor die, die, die vader. 
And, <laughs> and he, he goes in and he gets baptized. He comes out and the Holy Spirit, like a dove, the Holy Spirit is not a dove, please uh, kick that out. Uh, no, the, no, the Holy Spirit has a nature like a dove. Kick that out as well. Uh, end of the day, it's like almost a dove. He just sits there. And if you just, uh, whoa, you told a joke, whoa, he lifted. I mean, he's God, for goodness sake. He is not intimidated by anybody. He's not strict by anybody. Jesus loved all sinners and they surrounded himself with a bunch of people because he said, I never came for the righteous, but I came for sinners. Holy Spirit is not intimidated. Like a dove, because it came and rested upon him. And then a voice came from heaven and he said, this is my son whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. Huh? He's done nothing. What do you mean? Hold on a minute. He's got to do something so that we can actually say this. No, before he goes anywhere, before he does anything, the father speaks and says, this is my son. Identity. You are a son. And number two, whom I love. Acceptance. This is my, some uh, um, translations will say, my beloved son. But I haven't done anything. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Approval. Identity, acceptance, and approval. Before Jesus does anything, he gets an identity and acceptance and approval from the Father. We were called not to be Christians. We were called to be sons and daughters. If you want to be gender... We were called to be sons of God. We were called to step into our identity as a son. And in order for you to live and to operate as a son, you need to have that acceptance and that approval of God because when you choose to go and to walk and to do His will, it's not easy. There are challenges. There are things that will come your way that want to shake you and wobble you. But if you, your identity is in Him and in Him alone, then those things cannot affect you. Right? That's why the Bible says, in order if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself. Because yourself is identity and acceptance and approval is in something else. Which is why we also have to understand when God looks uh, from the biblical point of view, there are only two lineages. There are only two bloodlines. You are not Mexican. You are not Yugoslavian. You are not Russian. You are either in first Adam or you are in last Adam. There are two bloodlines. If you're in first Adam, then you have a whole bunch of stuff to be concerned about and to be worried about. Because if your father was an alcoholic, oh boy, you're in trouble. If your father and your mother had problems in a certain area and what have you, then yes, you might have a, a challenge. But if you have got born again, you have moved out of that bloodline and you've come into the second bloodline, which is the second Adam, which is Jesus Christ. And his bloodline is a lineage of purity. His bloodline is a lineage of royalty, of priesthood. And there is nothing in that bloodline that speaks anything of my past. It only speaks of his past. Right? We come into a new creature in Christ. Behold all things. No, all things. 
All things, all, all means all. All, all. The little Greek on the corner told me it means all. Right. So all things are new, new in Christ. You don't have to now have a concern about this thing in my past that's trying to knock on my door. My door, I was shut to all of that because I died and I was buried and I was raised now in Christ. And God knew that this could be challenging. So what he said is, okay, I'm going to come actually and live inside of you. And Holy Spirit is going to do this. So then he continues throughout this. And this is a quick side trail. And he tells you that everything that you're going to do is going to be done by the Holy Spirit, not by you. So even me, I can't say, oh, Lord, help me. I need some strength to do this, that, and the other. He's going, <laughs> He's going, eh, wrong. Come back over here and have a look. Oh, no, it's by the Holy Spirit. Thank you. That's very nice. Woo. See, because Christ in me is the hope of glory. Not good grant if I can just make it. So you see now. Karabashanda. So let me, just, let me just quickly. So go to Galatians chapter 4. Let me go. Galatians chapter 4. I mean, the whole book of Galatians is really good. But I just don't have time to do the whole book, so I'll just take up some, some scriptures. Galatians chapter 4. If you look at Galatians chapter 4, and if I can find it, because Ephesians seems to have taken Galatians over. No, here we go. Galatians chapter 4, from verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, right? The, though he is the owner of everything. How many understand that? I have to, you know, if, like, like um, Elijah. Elijah could be, uh, he's the heir of this incredible fortune. Multi-multi-billionaire. Um, he's going to inherit Elon Musk's whole fortune. <laughs> Um, um, but as long as he's still Elijah, um, so Matt and Zoe are just taking care of him. So he, he's having to be fed and taken care of whatever. He's, he's, he's not walking in his inheritance yet, you know. So he's still, he's still like, like a slave. Just there's no, you know, he's, things are being done for him and he's being told what to do, right? But then the Bible says something happens here. It says he's under guardians and managers until the day set by the Father. <coughs> In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Are we still on a journey to become sons, or are we already sons? We are already sons, right? We have been redeemed, right? From the law. Galatians 3. Where am I? Galatians 3. Let's just read somewhere. Let's have a look here. It's all good. Because I can't really read it. But um, <laughs> Okay. Just say, um, reading from, let's read from... 12 or 13, I love that. Um, let's just read from 12. But the law is not of faith. So are we understanding there's a covenant that's got to do with doing and actions, and there's a covenant that's got to do with believing. God is now wanting to redeem us out of this covenant of doing to come into this place of Believing, because in this covenant, the law is not of faith. 
It's, there's no faith needed when it comes to the law. But this covenant is a whole covenant of faith, right? Carry on reading. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, the curse of the law. Not Christ redeemed us from that really nice thing called the law that we really love to do. By becoming a curse for us, what is written, curses anyone who hang on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So Christ redeems us from the law so that the blessing of Abraham might come on us. What is the covenant and the blessing of Abraham? It's a covenant of grace and a covenant of believing. He believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. I have to move a bit, bit faster. Um, so people under the law, if you're under the law, you don't walk as sons. You can't walk as sons because why? Because the law, the very nature of the law, it's a ministry of death and it's a ministry of insecurity. So all the law is going to do is make you insecure so you can't walk as a son or a daughter because you're always insecure. I'm not sure if I'm a son or a daughter. Some days I feel good I'm a son because I've ticked all the boxes. Other days I kick the dog and I'm not sure. So I'm insecure all the time. So now I'm just going round and round in this circle, in this treadmill, and God wants to break that off us, right? But the gift of, ri the gift of righteousness... <laughs> The gift of righteousness brings us into our identity here. So Romans 8.32, the Bible says, He who did not spare his own son, how much more will he give us, freely give us all things? So there's something about a freedom here because we've been given the gift of righteousness, right? Um, oh, got to skip some, some things here. Uh, oh, let, me just, let, me say, let me say this. Uh, in, in 1 Timothy 1 verse 13, Paul actually says, I was a violent man and I was a blasphemer under the law. Friends, even Paul could say, under the law, I was, I was not a good man. Um, so this is not an area that you want to you be in. Oh no, this is a good path to make. No, it's not a good path because even Paul could say. And he says in, in, in Romans 7, he says, the law deceived me. See, you live in deception here and you live... It's a horrible place to be under the law, right? Um, I hope I'm understanding that. So let's quickly go back to the garden. So I've got to get back to the garden. I, got to, I have to at least say the garden. So now we're in the garden. God creates Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are in the garden. Guess what? They have zero uh, history. They have nothing there to compare to, nothing there to go. They, God's just speaking and they're believing. Their history is just God, Right? God is saying, hey, listen here, yeah, whatever, what shall we do there? Let's make an elephant. Poof. Whoa. Cool. Next time God says, you know, what shall we make over here? Whew. Okay. Can we make it longer neck? It's a bit fat. Can we make it skinnier, longer neck? Let's call him a giraffe. Yes. And God does it. So all he knows is the word of God. All he knows is that there's just this beauty about walking in this uh, uh, with this father who loves me so much, I don't deserve it. I've done nothing for it, but I'm just, I'm just a part of this miraculous walk with him and everything that's happening. He's taking care of me, he planted the garden, done all this stuff. Man, I'm getting fed. I'm, I'm having a great time. So the enemy comes along and says, okay, now what I've got to do here now is I've got to come and I've got to tell him, now hold on, you know, this other tree that the father said, don't eat from. What's the tree again? It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's the tree of knowledge of good and evil, what's right and what's wrong, sounds like 
the law. And he says, he says to him, hey, no, but if you eat of that tree, you're going to be like God. Oh, hold on a minute. We know that he already was like God. He's made in the image of God. He was already like God. So now Satan is tempting him to be something he already was. Oh, hold on a minute. Whoop, pull the bus. Let me fast forward now and let's stop here and let's say, oh, he was tempting Satan to be something that he already was. I just read, we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. We are now sons. No, but you have to do this and the other, that to be sons. You have to do this and that to get acceptance from God. You have to do this and that to get approval from God. So ask yourself this question, how more righteous can you be than the righteousness of God? It's a gift, and he's given you this gift of righteousness. So now I am perfectly righteous, but the enemy wants to tell me that there's still something that I need to do and some hoops that I need to jump in order for me to please God or to, or to be able to stand in his presence or to be a son. He's doing exactly the same thing, different methods. All he's trying to do is where we have an identity, and he's trying to tell us, hold on a minute, God's not, uh, uh, he's holding something back. So ask yourself this question, Adam and Eve, they're the only people that are on the earth at the moment, right? So now, what sin did Adam commit? Couldn't have been adultery. And we know it couldn't have been murder. Because Eve was there, right there with him. This is, unless he was murdering some tree. No. The reality was, what sin was it? It was the sin of unbelief. It was the sin of unbelief in the goodness of God. You have stolen the key to knowledge, Pharisees. What did the enemy try and steal? The key of knowledge with Adam and Eve. It was the sin of unbelief. What happens today is we go, we were so casual in the church today about unbelief. No, nah, unbelief, it's cool, man, don't worry. It's, it's no, the Bible says, Hebrews 3.12 says to me that the evil heart of unbelief. So now it's about unbelief. It's about that in, in the garden, uh, the, the enemy, what he did was get them to a place of unbelief, not believing, not a place of faith in God, but, but they have to do something. Eat of this tree and then you will become. So man journeys all the way through history. If you will do this, you will become. If you will do that, you will become. You go, oh, okay, you want to become that. Great, you've got the same heart and same desire. We both want to be sons, but you've got a wrong route that you're taking. So if you want to become that, okay, you have to do this, this, and this. There was nothing wrong with the law. The law is perfect, friends. There's nothing wrong with the law. The law was the standard. It was the righteous mark of what uh, God declared and said was righteous. If you did all of that, then you met the standard. So if you could do all of that, you would meet the standard, you'd be righteous, and then you and Jesus could be buds. Right? So he showed them the hold on a minute, you can't measure up to this. None of us can measure up to this. You know why? Because it doesn't matter if you get 99.9%, which I would have appreciated in my own test, but um, the reality is with Jesus, 99.9%, you fail once, the Bible says, James 2, you fail in every respect. The law is exact and perfect. So you can't, we can't do this thing, friends, in our own strength. So instead of doing the law, Jesus says, let's go back and let's have faith and let's trust in the tree of life. Just like they did in the garden. 
And Jesus comes back and he says, but this is even better than the garden because now I'm actually going to, the tree of life's going to come and live inside of you. Ooh. You don't even have to pick the leaves. They just will be inside of you. And then he says, and then the tree is not even going to be reliant on you because we're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit that's going to be life and that the same Spirit that raised Jesus, so that powerful uh, uh, life that was raising Jesus now inside of us, quickening our mortal body. He's taking care of a lot here, and I'm going fast. Um, Five minutes. Five minutes. Help me, Jesus. Five minutes. So five minutes. In five minutes, what can I say? Let me say this. Today, the modern-day gospel today, the modern-day gospel today is that, you know, you you want to go find the guy that, ooh, he was like, he's got tats all over him. He's... He's like, he's, his nostrils are, have been eaten away from, from drugs. The guy's, um, he's just, he's had a horrific life. And Jesus came broken to him. So now the whole emphasis is about sin. It's like, wow. You know, and if you've had a good life, you know, I was, I grew up with my mommy. And, um, and um, I wasn't a bad guy. I did everything really nice, whatever. And Jesus came broken to my life. Well, no, we don't want your testimony. <laughs> I want the guy, you know, that was a hack, he was a hacksaw murderer or something <laughs> And Jesus come and broke into. So what gets elevated? Sin. Now you go and study the Bible. You go study the Bible and you look at Paul's testimony. And you know what Paul's testimony? Nowhere in Paul's testimony does he elevate sin. Does he even concentrate on sin? What does Paul's testimony concentrate on? I was redeemed from the, the law. Paul's testimony is very different. It's not about sin. It's about, thank God, I was redeemed from the law. There's a redemption here that we've got to catch or understand. Um, so in the old covenant, the law was given so that if you obey it, you get the blessing, right? In the new covenant, promises are given so that if you believe them, you get the blessing. So in the old covenant, the law, if you do them, you get the blessing. In the new covenant, promises are given. If you believe them, you get them. Can you see the difference? So sin is defined in the Old Covenant as falling short of the law. Sin in the New Covenant is unbelief in the goodness of God. Right? Oh, I hope I'm, I hope I'm landing. Please, Lord, help this to come together. Um, so what happens now is that the church gets very... Uh, um, and they get very excited now and they go, hold on a minute. If you lift the law of people, they'll go crazy. We've got to control them with a couple of laws, just a few, just maybe three or four. Just, and that's the problem. The law, is nothing wrong with the law. There's nothing wrong with grace. But if you mix the two, amen, you can't mix law and grace. It will negate. The law will negate because it's not of faith. It will negate the very nature of grace, right? So the, the big thing there that people don't preach, which we need to preach the full gospel of, of God, you know, teach the full counsel of God, Paul said. Right, the full counsel of God is that, yes, you have been redeemed from the law. But if you go and look at, at Romans 7, you'll find out that you have been redeemed from the law, but you have been betrothed to another. So you have been redeemed. You've come out of the law, which was, is a horrible, horrible husband. Never washes the dishes Never helps out, makes the bed, does anything around the home, never helps you with supper. Just tells you what the standard is and what's required. Food, now, 
something to drink with it. <laughs> right? Bible says it, Romans 7, horrible, horrible, horrible husband, right? But now, when we died, we died with Christ. So we died to the law. But when we died to the law, we were now betrothed to another. So it's not just that we died to the law. It's now that we have become one with Christ. He's now our husband in the, in the typology of Romans 7. So if he's now our husband, we produce fruit after righteousness. So you see, it's, not, it's great that we come out of that because we step into this. this. This is not a people that are running wild. This is a people now that are, are yoked to Jesus Christ. They're gentle. They're humble. See, yoke is easy, burden is light. I'm at peace. I'm at rest. This is a people that are totally at rest because the big oxen is carrying all the weight. I'm just next to him. <laughs> right? That's why we're the bride. We've tucked in. <laughs> and he's standing there, moving things out. You see the goodness of God. He's that good. Right? So I'll land with this. I know I'm finished, but also I'll land. I'll land because I won't be able to do that. But let me just, let me land with this. I believe that the new covenant is all about identification. Christ identified with us fully so that we can fully identify with him. So he identified with us. When we were at our worst, he identified with our worst so that we could identify with his best. See, that's the gospel. That's why this is so cool. So let me end by saying this. In the old covenant, the, the um, judgment always was greater than the sacrifice. So you take Elijah very quickly, Elijah, Elijah standing there. I love that story. It's my most favorite giggly story in the Bible. Because Elijah's standing there and they sent the prophets of Baal, okay, call down fire from heaven and those oaks are going crazy. They, they built the altar and they're asking for fire to come down. They cut up the oxen and, and Elijah goes, no, maybe he's sleeping. <laughs> ask again, ask again. They're cutting themselves. They, ooh, they, they're going nutty, whatever. Nothing happens. Then Elijah comes and he, he builds an altar of stone. Let me, let me just touch that. You go and study that. I think it's in 1 Kings 18. But go and, go and study that. And you'll, Elijah says something. God says, don't take any rock that's been hewn. Only natural rocks. There's something in that church that I've just been saying, if you'll catch it, it's flying now. You can grab hold of it. No, don't make it from man. Anything man made. This is all God. Oh, sounds like a covenant to me. Sounds like this side, yeah. Oh. So it makes all these rocks, puts the, cuts up the, puts the sacrifice on. Then he says, right now we're going to go take a four big things of water and go and pour it all over it. Now, hold on a minute. Let's, let's make a, 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 a moat around the whole thing. Let's dig a trench all the way around it. Pour the four of these things all over it. Goes into the, into the trench. He goes, no, no, do it again. I do this a second time. And he says, okay, no, do it again. Do it a third time. Now the moat is all full of water. This thing's totally drenched. And he says, okay, Lord, show forth your glory. God comes. Guess what happens? Everything is cooked. The stones disappear. The water disappears. The trench disappears. The earth gets cooked. There's this one big crater. God has cooked everything. The judgment is way greater than the sacrifice. Now the Lamb of God comes and He dies on the cross and all the wrath 
and all the punishment and everything of man's evilness from beginning to end, the past, the present, and the future, God releases His wrath on Jesus over and over and over and over again. And Jesus just takes everything that God releases in terms of sin, in terms of everything that we evilness that man has done. And after He's done all of that, Jesus is still there. And He says, Okay, the sacrifice is bigger than the judgment. It is finished. Friends, if he did all of that for you and me, dear God, let him not have put us into some kind of covenant where he's going to look there and the cross was not enough. If the cross, friends, and I say this with all respect in every part of my being, if the cross was there, friends, to make us all do things right, then the cross failed. But if the cross was to bring us into relationship with God, into reconciliation back to Him, friends, then the cross succeeded in every single aspect because His mercy triumphs over judgment. James chapter 2. His mercy triumphs, friends. God wants to declare and speak to us today and say, allow me. When things get tough, when things are shy, allow me to entrench you, to soak you, to realize that, that I have done it all and I am, you are my son. You are, I love you and that you are fully, fully accepted and it's got nothing to do with what you are doing, what you're involved with or, or anything like that. You are secure in me. Nothing has changed in your identity. Nothing has changed and who you are just because you messed up. He wants us to come back to this place of faith. See, that's why we have this hope. That's why we need endurance, friends. We need endurance because it's not about me having to go and phone a friend and go to pray 17 times. It's about me coming back to that place in God in that place of belief because it's a sin of un. Belief, friends, that's causing the challenges. Oh, there's so much I could say now because my brain is just exploding. Karabashanda. There's so much if we can just unpack and understand of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Do not put it off for what He's already done now. Friends, this is a place of security. This is a place of strength. When you operate from this place, of in Christ Jesus. It's now, everything is now by faith. It's my belief and my trust in what He has already done that secures me, and now I can have a confidence, a confidence in His promises, a confidence in what He's uh, said and what He is still going to do. And in that confidence, friends, it allows me now to endure whatever I'm facing because I have such hope. And hope will not disappoint. It won't fail. Amen. 